This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, why do we explore space, reflecting on 50 years since the moon landing? We're asking this question today to three people. Our first guest is Dr. Jonathan Clark. Jonathan is a session instructor in astrobiology at Swinburne University, the president of Mars Society Australia, and a director of ISCAST, an organisation for Christians in Science. Please welcome Dr. Jonathan Clark. My next guest is Diane McGrath. Diane is an astronaut candidate, sustainability consultant, PhD researcher, blogger, and one of the final 100 candidates for the Mars One Human Settlement Program. Please welcome Diane McGrath. And my third guest is Dr. James Murray. James is a former astrophysicist and senior program manager at Astronomy Australia. He's also president of Mount Burnett Observatory, a community astronomical observatory in the Dandenong Ranges, east of Melbourne. Please welcome Dr. James Murray. So this year marks the 50th anniversary since the moon landing. Now, I am revealing my age a little bit, but I actually wasn't alive 50 years ago. Now, John, you were alive 50 years ago. I'm not trying to insult people by talking about their age at the very start of the conversation, but do you remember much of the moon landing? Yes, I do. Uh, I was um, 10 years old, which dates me quite precisely. Um, I was living in Thailand at, at the time. My parents are missionaries in Thailand, so we didn't have TV. What was that? Uh, we, but we had radio, and uh, we got up at some horrible hour of the morning and sat in our lounge room and listened to the radio, shortwave uh, radio, Voice of America, of the moon landing. Now, Diana, it's very rude to ask a woman her age, but you were actually born... I was alive. I was one day old. <laughs> so I don't recall the lunar landing very well. Um, my, mo my mother certainly does. Right. Did she put you up in front of the TV screen or something to try to say that you've experienced it? I, I don't think she did that. Look, it's the sort of thing that if you're alive back then, it's just... It was so momentous an occasion. Like my my parents did talk about it when I, I was a child, and mm. uh, and my father was mad, mad keen on science fiction, and I think he took me to one of my first movies, which was of course Star Wars. So, right. <laughs> which is a true story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a documentary. Documentary. It was a long time ago. Into the galaxy far, right. far yes, away. That's right. Yeah. Yes. How about you then, James? So you were also close. You were just oh, very close, just a few days afterwards. But um, the way it affected me was the uh, very first book I had was a scrapbook, and my parent, my mother had made it for me. And mm. the picture, page one of that book was the moon landing. Mm. So that is, and I've still got it. I've still got the scrapbook. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it sort of. It's almost a marker for, for my life in, in astronomical terms. Yeah. So it was one. It was obviously one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, but also an important step for your own life as well. Yes. In terms of shaping. Yeah, it was one of my first sort of images that's fixed in my head right. was yeah. looking at the opening that book and looking inside. Um, but to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Now today we're asking three space experts on why, why we explore space as we reflect on 50 years since the moon landing. So I thought I'd test you on how much do you know 
about the moon landing? There's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay, question one. What flavour ice cream did Baskin-Robbins release in 1969 to commemorate America's landing on the moon? Was it A, Lunar Cheesecake, B, Moonberry, C, Blue Moon, or D, Democracy Wins, Take That, Russia? <laughs> we, we didn't have ice cream where I grew up, so... <laughs> so, what are you, you going to... I have a guess, B. You're going to go B, right? How about you guys in the end? I, I think I'll, I'll, I'm going to go for the cheesecake. Lunar Cheesecake, that's... Yeah. What about you, John? You're going to... I'll go for the Democracy Wins. <laughs> It's very nice, but the actual answer is actually A, Luna oh, Cheesecake. Well so, James. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, the original Luna Cheesecake featured Luna Green cheesecake ice cream with an Apollo 11 marshmallow ribbon. Now, I'm not sure if that's served on the moon, um, because I have actually heard that they're putting a restaurant on the moon. Uh, it's good food, but no atmosphere. Oh. <laughs> Don't give up your day job. <laughs> This, this is my day job. <laughs> so, I thought it just cratered there. So, okay, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Trust me. Yeah, pressing too much. In July 1969, during the first moon landing, what event did NASA keep under wraps? Was it A, the discovery of life and an alien civilization on the moon? Was it B, an argument between Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong as to who would get to set foot on the moon first? Was it C, the taking of communion by Buzz Aldrin on the moon? Or D, the fact that it was all a hoax. The moon landing never actually <laughs> happened. So which of this was kept under wraps from NASA? Maybe we'll start with you, James. Which one are you going to go with first? I'm going to go for C. You go for C, taking yeah. the communion, yeah? Yep, I'll go for C you too. Go for C. You don't have to go with the group if you want, but I would if you'd like to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps it might be C. It might be C. And the answer is um, C. Yes, it was the taking of communion by Buzz Aldrin on the moon was kept under wraps by NASA. So... Congratulations, James. You're out of this world. You got two of our two smaller questions right. The rest of you all passed as well. Big round of applause. <laughs> now, it is intriguing, though, that today about 5% of Americans believe that the moon landings uh, were faked. And a documentary called Conspiracy Theory, Did We Land on the Moon, raised a number of evidences to suggest that the moon landing was faked. The documentary claimed that NASA did not have the technical capability of going to the moon but pressure due to the Cold War and the Soviet Union forced them to fake it. So James, are we celebrating 50 years since one of the greatest hoaxes of all time or did the moon landing really well, happen? I'm going to say categorically no. Obviously the moon landings were real, but um, if I were to give a longer answer, one of my favourite subjects in high school was not science, it was actually English and it was critical thinking was the subject that I was mm. taught. And the emphasis on critical thinking was trying to understand who was telling you what they were telling you and what they were trying to achieve right, by telling yeah. you. And I think when you think about the conspiracy theories, well, who is the person that's telling you the theory mm. and what are they trying to achieve? And when that first movie came out, it was just someone trying to make a buck. Mm. Oh, the conspiracy theory movie? Yeah. yeah. So you so, saw the film? Well, I haven't seen the, the Netflix one, but the original one. I've had a bit of a Fox hunt TV around. Or whatever yeah, it was, the, yeah. Fox, the Fox one. Um, and all these little facts that are questioned, like you can't see the stars in the pictures, the, the um, flag is waving and all, all the rest. The, you can uh, 
for the stars, for example, you just need to take your mobile phone outside and spend <laughs> five seconds just taking a photo of the sky and you can sort of say, well, that's not right. That's great. And having some of the more recent um, lunar endeavours uh, with the sort of visual images we can get from mm. the moon now, we can, we can see mm. where the footprints are. Like we can actually well, see the, them. The tracks from the yeah. little buggy that was around. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly. your understanding, isn't it, James? That, yeah. that you can actually, there's sort of things you can yeah. actually verify now that mm. the moon landing and the, the th yeah. and the thing about the moon landing is it's something that you could fake in the moment, perhaps, mm. but they've had to fake 50 years of yeah. history since then yeah. as well. And, and all the other missions that have gone to the moon yeah. since then, from Japan, from India, from China, from Israel, uh, the Europeans, further Russian missions, how they, yeah, it would be very, very courageous, as some people would say, to <laughs> have undertaken such an endeavour. Yeah. Now, historians claim gold, God and glory as motivations for European colonial expansion. So do you think that these motives can also apply for our desire to explore space? What do you think, James? It's oh, yeah, so, <laughs> a very good question. So, I'm glad you um, keep saying that because uh, <laughs> that is my day job. <laughs> I, think, I think it's it's sort of a basic human. Hmm. It's something that's hardwired into us. We've always been trying to explore, challenge, doing things that you don't know you're going to come back from. Hmm. You, know, you think about Captain Cook and all those people who set sail for the um, great southern land. Then you think of Shackleton and Scott and the people who explored the Antarctic. They're, always doing crazy things so mm. the within just the human psyche i think there's this need to to do it and then you take a whole civilization and there is this mixture of greed there's a mixture of so i i think um go back a few hundred years and and religion would have played a, a very important part in it i think maybe less so now I almost think that there's yeah. a, an opportunity, if, if we do think of that, that God aspect along with the others, then um, is there an element to, to rethink how we do do exploration mm -hmm. instead of it being one nation or a nationhood, it becomes a humanity and all of humanity mm -hmm. doing something. And so thus it, it sort of, it, it unites us in a very different way. So perhaps the, the faith element is actually you know, bringing humanity together more. Perhaps we also yeah. could also be divisive on, we'll come to that mm. in, in, a bit, in a bit more of our, in our conversation in a moment. Um, so there is obviously money to be made potentially in mining space, but the quest is though, is it for resources or is there something more going on, James? Well, I, I think it, resources would have to be very low down on the list. I mean, I've spent a decade in, in banking and it's, there's, there's a theory of return for risk. Mm -hmm. And I think the risk is very high. Yeah. And the return is, is probably not quite there for the risk that you're going to take. Right. I think. So there's something else driving us as well, that to oh, explore absolutely. space rather than just yeah. getting money, although there's potentially money to be made. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. even just the, you know, the, the conquistadors and the explorers too, you know, the, 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 those sorts of parts of the world, the theory was that there was this, the cities of gold. Did they ever find them? You know, this is, so, you know, this so they made, found chocolate, they found chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, once again, yeah. we see this, you know, this might have driven part of it, part of the there's exploration. There's something greater going on but as well. There's something greater. Yeah. 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 Well, it doesn't have to be real for a banker to put money in it necessarily. No, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so then what was achieved by going to the moon? One fam the famous line, of course, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So what do you think in particular was that giant leap? Maybe we'll start with you, James. I think it... 
truly made us question our own place in the universe. I mean, we, we talked um, a little bit about just the fact in getting to the moon, people started looking back at the Earth. And there's that very famous photo uh, that the astronauts on Apollo 8 took called Earthrise hmm. in 1968. So just around Christmas time in 1968. And this colour photo of a blue and white sphere hanging in space just rising over the limb of the moon was enough to change the way people thought about the environment mm. it really made people question mm. what we are doing to our planet mm. so that's that's the that's major the, achievement in my well, view so it's just the, the, what it's done to our, the way we look at things. It's more than just technical, it's yeah. actually, just, it really impacts ourselves. Yeah. I think so. I mean, the, the environmental right. movement um, really, uh, just to build from that, the first Earth Day happened in 1970. Mm. So the very next year after the lunar landing, all of us who are still on this planet realised, oh, we can do, we've seen mm. this image now and we have to protect it. We didn't have to have gone to space to do it. But if someone hadn't gone to space, we wouldn't have taken things to that sort of level. Mm. So... And, well, I think, that, and I think it's very important for that. Uh, and, you know, it's also that the peace movement has been used to illustrate mm. how many philosophical and religious uh, books and papers, most, perhaps the most influential photo in history. But the most important thing was people had photos of the Earth from the moon before. I mean, one of the Zon, Russian Zon spacecraft took a mm -hmm. colour photo from the moon, very similar to that. Uh, the... Uh, Lunar orbiter, one of the lunar orbiters, took the same thing, even called it Earthrise. But the fact there was a, a human being behind that camera mm. taking that photo, suddenly, yeah, this wasn't just a clever machine doing something, this was one of us taking that photo out there. Mm. So, Diane, what else do you think we learned about ourselves in the Moon program? Oh, just how capable we are of doing extraordinary things. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a time in history when people started to, to, to go back to, to study. We saw more people sign up to do PhDs after the lunar landing than any other time in history. So it, it ins excited us, it inspired us. Uh, and sometimes I think we need to see people even just striving to do something remarkable to make us think, it's possible. Oh, it's it's mm. possible. Mm. Mm. And, then, and the moon was, so it's an inspiration. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, as we've mentioned, the Apollo 8 mission in December 1968, the Apollo 8 mission succeeded in becoming the very first human mission to orbit the moon. Then in a transmission broadcast to the whole world on Christmas Eve 1968, the astronaut William Anders said, we are now approaching lunar sunrise and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, this was the very first verses of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1. And then Anders, James Lovell and Frank Borman, the astronauts of that mission, proceeded to read the creation story of the Bible from Genesis 1, 1 to 10. So what are your reflections then on the Bible, this Genesis story being quoted uh, on the Apollo 8 mission at a really significant point in human history? John, what are your reflections? I did hear that live, but it was, it was of course, in all the papers. And I, I, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I was a Christian then, I'm a Christian now, and I, I thought it was beautiful. And, and somehow it captured the bigger dimension of what was being done. And, you know, here we have something that's basically, you know, a competition between superpowers for glory. Uh, and you've got fairly outwardly unreflective 
you know, fighter jocks doing it. And suddenly, we're reminded that there was more to all of this uh, than just glory, than just a bunch of you know, fighter jocks doing things. You know, th these people were, ref were reflective. And these people actually uh, um, rose to the occasion, and it was a dialogue between someone in NASA Public Affairs and Frank Borman, who was a mission commander, that came up with this idea. And it ties back to what we've alluded to indirectly several times, that the overview effect or the overlook effect. And when people look at the Earth from space or from, uh, from the moon, uh, it changes their perspective. And I think what it was important yeah, that, that the words that were spoken were not words written by just... Uh, an, an American man. A contemporary or a, No, that was, that was very important because, I mean, that we were in the middle of the Cold War. Mm. There was a lot of atrocity that was going on at that time too. We had the Vietnam War going on as well. It was a terrible year. It was, it was, it was awful. There was, yeah. um, Martin Luther King was shot. Yeah, assassination, yeah. exactly. So, um, and so at this time we had, Lovell was asked, you've got, you've got five or six minutes, you've got to say something for this five or six minutes uh, up when you're it's up a there. Christmas message. Go for your, yeah, go for your life. Mm. And, uh, and he was like, oh, I want to say something about peace on earth. And, but how does he, an American man, say something about peace? It, it would have seemed quite hypocritical. Mm. So, you know, that's when he punted the give me a hand here to the mm. PR folks um, back at the, in the president's office. And, yeah. uh, and, but it was actually the, the wife of the PR fellow, um, Christine Layton, who, because Joe Layton was struggling, like, what do I write, what do I write? And no she pressure. came out, and she came out, it was about like three or four in the morning, and said, Genesis, hmm. don't you write it, it's written. So then, Diane, we've talked about this, uh, this creation story, it's the idea of something greater, something bigger, but why is the idea of space connected with the idea of God? I think it's come from all of the different faiths and, and even if we think back to what the First Nations people from from this land, mm. you know, the dream time, how much of it is now the stories in the stars? We're, mm. We've always looked to the stars, no matter which particular faith it's come from, the story of creation is there in some form mm. or another. So it doesn't surprise me at all that, mm. that there's a connection between God and space, no matter what religious background, I think. Mm. Well, that being in space was a challenge to some, the faith of some. So William Anders, who, was, who had read the first chapter of Genesis, later said, when I looked at the earth on the way back and some time to be a little more contemplative, it underscored the thinking really for the first time that we are a small piece of an almost infinite universe. Before the flight, I was a Catholic and had communion from my old parish priest, but I must say my faith was somewhat undercut as I looked back on a tiny earth and I got to thinking, is that really the centre of the universe? So, Jonathan, it seemed that the change of perspective was significant for Anders. Now, you are a Christian believer. Do you think that your faith would be undercut if you were presented with the earth in a different way as, to, as Anders was? I would be gobsmacked by what I would see and, and the privilege of being there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it would uh, because how he expressed that actually shows the problem. You know, he, he saw the earth as the, the centre of the universe. And you know, from a theological perspective, God is the centre of the universe. Right. So there, there is one problem. So, so you wouldn't necessarily see the same, have the same issue that, that he had? Without doing it, I can't guarantee it, but <laughs> I would be very surprised. Right. Um, and of course, his crewmates did not have that experience. So, uh, you know, Frank Borman and, uh, and Jim Lovell. So, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Well, it has been 50 years since the moon landing, but there seems to be something about human 
desire for exploration and the big question of is now, well, where next? And it seems that Mars is the focus and potential destination for human exploration. So, Diane, you are a candidate for the Mars One Human Settlement Program. Now, the goal of this program is to establish human settlement on Mars. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the program? Because it's a one-way trip. That's right. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the concept is um, to, by establishing a permanent settlement, uh, we can show uh, that we can share space as a united humanity. And Mars One is not a, a government-run agency. They're an international, apolitical organisation. So um, the candidates come from, at the moment, 34 different countries. So, yep. And honestly, it's probably going to be the launch pad for further exploration if it's successful. For me, I'm interested in the one-way part. Um, it yes, actually this is the intriguing part. This is what, you're, 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 it exactly. attracts you, does it? The one-way part. Well, because I'm so passionate about sustainability, to live on Mars, it, I mean, resupply is going to be just—it's ridiculous to think about. I mean, it's a what fifty minimum of fifty-four million. You don't want to leave your toothpaste behind. We, like, we're going to have to be completely sustainable. Yeah. To survive on Mars in that tiny, what would be a tiny closed loop of our living environment. Um, so everything from producing and managing our, all of our own food, uh, waste won't exist. It'll be resources that are used differently and so forth. And so if we can do that and show we can do that for this tiny little space on Mars, then we can do it here for this giant closed loop. Mm. Now, there were over 200,000 global applicants for the Mars One opportunities. And now you're one of the final 100 yes. left. Why do you think there was so much interest in a one-way trip to Mars? <laughs> I was quite staggered, actually, when I saw how many people had applied when I started that application process. Um, so I, I didn't actually tell my parents when I first applied because I thought it was a need-to-know basis. <laughs> okay, right. This was... When was the last time that we've seen something so extraordinary, except, you know, the lunar landing? When was the last time we were so inspired by something humanity has done together because we all we all felt united as humanity when man stepped on the moon you know the french were there like oh we are on the moon there was not a french person on that crew mm. but the french were all there too like you know you know what i mean so we we felt united so what would you be sacrificing then for such a trip trading off trading off yeah i think yeah. well i think about it i've thought about this quite a bit when i when i first heard about the mission and i took quite a few months to to really do the research, you know, due diligence on the organisation, what's their technology roadmap, what's their funding model like, all this sort of stuff. Um, but then I also thought, well, what would I be giving up and what would my life be like and what are the health risks I would face? So, but because I, I saw it as something which is so visionary, the term that I didn't see those things, the things I'd be giving up as as a sacrifice, more as a trade-off. Trade-off, yeah. yeah you, uh, mm. If I embrace it as, well, that's just a part of that decision-making, mm. then it made it a lot easier to, to press enter. Okay. So how, then, have you prepared for such a trip? Like, do you, do you eat lots of Mars bars? Like, to, <laughs> well, to the opposite, actually. Okay, right, yeah. No, I, um, well, Mars One have still got one final stage of selection to go to trim us down to what will be 12 to 24 people to start roughly 10 years of training. Um, but I started a lot of my own training already. Uh, when I saw what the health risks were and I realised that Diane McGrath, 2013, 2014, etc., had to look vastly different for 2031, which is when the first human mission is, is planned, I mean, 
bone mass, muscle mass loss, vision impairment, hearing, uh, mental health, all of these sorts of things. So I started working on training those things from, from then. Uh, and so I've already, I've increased my bone mass since mm -hmm. then. I've managed to put on a couple of percentage each year because I thought if I can put some in the bank, are you denser than you were? I am. <laughs> oh, that's a good dad joke. I like that. <laughs> I, have My dad, practice. I like that one. I've not heard that. But it's also so it's affected your diet as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've altered my diet dramatically. So I, as you of, know, I do eat crickets and insects. So you eat insects? I do eat insects. Um, I what, what's the rationale for that? Well, it's supposed to be part of the, the food system. For, for Mars, from what Mars One are contemplating. Predominantly plant-based with hydroponic system. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer aquaponics, yeah. don't mind a bit of fish. Uh, however, uh, but so their concept is though to supplement that with insects and algae, which are extremely nutrient dense. And insects would play an important role in the food production system too. Yeah, so James, Jonathan, um, you keen for a one-way trip to Mars? James? Not me. I've got too many children. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't annoy you too much. <laughs> this could be a good excuse to imagine what the Christmas bills would be like. I can really understand it and just hearing, um, hearing Diana say, talk about it, I can feel inspired by it, but it's also, it's not something for you. No, I'm quite happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Well, 24 people went to the moon and 400,000 people made that happen. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so that's part of it. Well, I think it's a, personally, I'd want to come back. I want to sort of bore my grandchildren about the story. <laughs> so is human, human settlement on Mars possible? Yes. Um, is always, I'd say 90%. Certainly, I think a mission to Mars is possible. Whether we could live there long term and reproduce is something we have to go there to find out. Mm. Um, you need people like Diane to, to give it a go. Give it a go, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And um, if we don't try, we'll never, we'll never know. And um, in terms of resources, you know, Mars, although it's low pressure air, it's got uh, carbon resources, uh, there's water, uh, there's uh, materials that you can use to make uh, bricks, clay-rich rocks. Um, it'll be a very high-tech sort of existence in some ways. So to our three space travellers here today, why do we explore space? Start with you, James. Because every time we find something new, it turns our understanding of... It turns our understanding upside down. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the new horizons. Our horizons are so small now as a society. Um, and by looking out into space and, and exploring the planets, suddenly our horizons get very large again. And I think that's a good thing. So what you doing? Why do we explore space? Inspiration and just the great beauty. And mm -hmm. as my mother would say, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me leave you with what was quoted by the Apollo 8 astronauts orbiting the moon as a message to the Earth from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guests today, Dr. Jonathan Clark, Diane McGrath, and Dr. James Murray. Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. I hope you enjoyed this week's special Moon Landing Anniversary Show. 
Now, to accompany this episode, we've put together a fantastic resource which helps you keep exploring the big questions raised by space exploration at your own pace and in your own style. Now, we want to stimulate the discussion of the bigger questions. So in this resource, we ask questions like, why are we moved by the stars? And why is the idea of space so often connected with the idea of God? We include quotes from believing and non-believing astronauts, cosmonauts, cosmologists, authors, and even the Bible. It's got a picture of the famous Earthrise picture for you to marvel at, and the resource is attached to this podcast file. So open it up, reflect, and continue exploring the bigger questions. Now, this might even be something you can do with others, so why not share the show with a friend and then catch up over a coffee or even a lunar cheesecake ice cream and start a bigger conversation. Let's get more people asking the bigger questions. Now, in the show notes, we've also put links to the websites of the guests of today's show. And also, a quick shout-out to the Mount Burnett Observatory, of which James is the president, because I'm actually a member of the observatory myself. So if you're around Melbourne, you're very welcome to come along to one of the public viewing nights, or even join the observatory yourself. It's great value. And speaking of great value, why not support Bigger Questions on Patreon? For as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Well, thanks again for listening and tune in next week where we continue the conversation on space and space exploration where we go deeper with Jonathan Clark and ask him if we'll lose God in outer space. I look forward to joining you then. And in the meantime, keep asking the bigger questions.